We uh, start in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, and we are going to attempt today to do a whole chapter. Verses 1 through 23. This is opposition to God's plan. And what um, we're going to look at today is uh, a bad day. A bad day for Moses. Or so it seemed. We've all had bad days. As a matter of fact, we've had more bad days than we would like to admit. <laughs> matter of fact, you've probably had a bad day this week, possibly. But in God's eyes, all days are good, aren't they? only thing is, we see it in a different perspective, and He wants us to look at it the way that He looks at it. And that's what He's trying to teach Moses here. And as we look at Moses, then we want to transfer that to us and say, God, what is this for me now? But at first, we, we look at the truth that God had for him. Moses had a bad day, and... Uh, matter of fact, I think he had to be scratching his head. And he had, at the end of this chapter, he had some major questions for God. You know? And uh, so it, it goes with us a lot. Moses had just done what God had asked him to do, had success, went to his people, went to the elders, told them what the deal was, and they said, yes, yes, let's do it. And they were gung-ho. People approved him overwhelmingly and Aaron and Moses are like this. All right, you know. They're ready to storm the gates. Storm the gates of Pharaoh. Um, A lot of confidence. He has a message. Moses does. And it's going to be unfavorable for the king. Pharaoh is not going to like this message. God had already told Moses that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So you look at God in in this whole perspective here and what he has in mind. And and at the same time, we're looking at Moses from a human view. We can identify with that. But if you step back, you can look at the whole overview from God's angle. And when you see things that way, things become a lot more clear. That cloudiness in the water, those swimming pools when they're really cloudy, the, the pools that I've been battling for about a month now and it's still cloudy. Well, I know overall, if I back up and I look at at what God's deal is, not in the pool, but over His whole plan. doesn't matter what I see. What is there is, uh, is God's ultimate plan. He's making it come together. He had told Moses also that He's going to deliver Israel out of the bondage into liberty. Liberty into God. So we, we think about liberty, right? We sing about it and we heard that message there and liberty is so much. And the liberty that we have is a great picture, liberty in this country, of the ultimate liberty, free in Christ. You, know, you can be a slave of people uh, in, in a physical sense, but be free in Christ and, you, and you're free. You know, It doesn't matter the situation. Paul kind of wrote about that kind of thought too. But Moses says, okay, Moses thinks this plan is going to happen a lot quicker than it is going to happen. And we know that God's plan is always going to come through. It's just the thing is, God, why are you taking so much time? Why am I continuing to wait on you? I'm about ready to give up on you. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Not maybe necessarily give up, but the thing is, opposition comes against us. Occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, but God has all the power. He's the one who has all the power. Moses thinking he has the power. There should be no difficulty here. So he thought. There's going to be difficulty. 
things started out bad here in chapter 5. I mean, things were looking so good. And now it goes bad to worse. I mean, why was He even there when things go from bad to worse and God has already told him that, hey, this is what I want you to do. Moses is confused. After this first meeting with Pharaoh, he cannot understand why God is doing what He's doing. There should have been a deliverance and it didn't happen. Moses should have known that this was not going to be easy. God has a reason why He does what He does. When it's all said and done, when the smoke clears, what it's about? It's all about His glory. This thing's not about Moses. It's not about the Israelites. It's about God and how He can take a Pharaoh and make him look so small. And God gets pushed up even further in His glory. Isn't that what all the Bible is about? So it's not about us. It really isn't. It's great that we get to be included in on this, but when you, when you see God's plan and His angle, it's great. There's going to be difficulties in life. We are going to experience those, and it's for a reason. God wants to make us stronger. You go out and lift weights, you do that uh, on a disciplined basis, you're going to get results over a period of time. Well, what He does is He tests us, makes us stronger. The only thing is, we don't want to think about that, do we? We don't want to think about those difficulties. Even though God says, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a guarantee, but I think it's a promise. Because He's saying, look at it from my angle, this is good. I want to make you trust in Me like you haven't had to trust before. Test of faith. How often this happens to us. We like to believe in all the promises. And all the positive things that God has. And about the glorious deliverance. Don't we love that? And we should. We don't want to take that away. But, even though we like that part of the plan, we don't like the part whenever there are tribulations and trials. Paul actually asks for that. Not only do I want to know your resurrection power, that's the positive, right? But what looks like a negative, and it's not negative to God, is the suffering. I want to know your suffering. Paul, why did you say that? Because that's experiencing what Christ went through. It's more than a human level here. This is God's angle. So as we go through Exodus, that's what we want to focus on all the way through here. Not, not the way that our feelings and the way our thoughts should be, but the way that God is presenting it. We prefer the sweet then and now, don't we? And uh, over the miserable here and now. We don't like the miserableness of it, right? Uh, Missouri, misery, heat. 110 degree heat index. <laughs> Today we're going to look at Moses' meeting with the Pharaoh. And how that seemed to backfire. And you notice I said seemed to backfire? To him, it did. And all his rights are going to get punished for this. God is getting out of control here. No, it's not. What is going on, God? That's what Moses says. This is the great man of faith. So we can learn from God here as he uses Moses. Okay, let's take up uh, verse 1 and 2, chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. <laughs> and Pharaoh said, 
Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. No, will I let Israel go? I'm sure he said it more forceful than that. What are you talking about? Moses and Aaron somehow got an audience with the king. The two brothers, they're just beaming with confidence. They are ready to take on the world. They are encouraged by the elders. They've seen what has happened. They have the miracles with them. They would go in there with guns blazing. They didn't have guns back then, but I'm telling you, the guns are in their mouths, right? In the mouth of Aaron. They're going to put those miraculous signs on display and they're going to convince everybody, right? The gates are just going to swing right open. And they'll just march right on out the gates and on into the promised land, right? No. That's not the plan. Israelites are not going to be out of there in a moment's time. That would seem to be the way that we would want it. We would have written a script like that. I think every one of us here would say, okay, let's go. Let's get out of here now. Okay? Wouldn't we have wanted it that way? I mean, I would have. It doesn't matter about me, though, does it? It just doesn't happen that way, for God has something better in mind. Better. Now, he makes a, a bold demand. And this is incredible. The message is simple. You know, let my people go, right? They've heard the very words of God. Moses heard exactly what God told him. God spoke to Moses. Heard it. He has a clear, he has a direct mandate that he's going to state right in front of the king. Now, let the people go. First thing that is stated is what? Look at this. Thus says the Lord. Don't you love that? Remember, thus saith the Lord. Throughout the prophets, thus saith the Lord. Man, that sounds strong, doesn't it? Here's what God has to say. I got a message for you, Pharaoh. <laughs> he's going to come in there and say that. And that's going to change everything. Here's what God says. Now, would you say that He came in there with authority and competence, Moses and Aaron? Would you say they came in there with just total authority? Absolutely. All right, not high. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's what God says. Surely Pharaoh would listen to this. Oh, Yahweh said that? Okay, you guys go now. Just go ahead. No. Uh, they name him as Yahweh. That's the personal name of God, self existent one, the I am, right? They might have been thinking, this is going to be pretty easy, guys. We're going to go in there, we're going to tell them the demands, and we're going. Now, Jonathan Edwards had a great statement on, on what our victory is in having the, the true king. He said, in that great sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. How many have heard of that message before? Every one of you, right? Okay. He said, all the kings of the earth before God are as grasshoppers. They are nothing and less than nothing. Both their love and their hatred is to be despised. The wrath of the king of kings is as much more terrible than theirs as His majesty is greater. Don't you like that? I think they would be thinking something like that. And that's very biblical, is it not? 
The kings, what do they have compared to the king of the universe? Nothing. Moses and Aaron are right on track. Faith, man, they're trusting in God now, just beaming and bold as could be. And they approach the throne and they do what they want to do here. They've been sent by God. They've been given the words to say, how could anything go wrong because God is with us? God is speaking to you now, Pharaoh, and it's not two old men. (laughs) The voice you're hearing may come from a human voice, but this is the voice of the Lord. Well, he says that there is to be worship. Moses has a mission. And his mission is to take the Jewish people on a three-day journey into the desert. For what reason? To worship the Lord. Six days of travel. One day of worship. Six days. That's That might be the thought here, uh, but we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. It, three days away, and if the Pharaoh is hearing this, okay, they'll worship for a day, and then it's going to take them three days back. We're talking a whole week here, if he's thinking that way, if that's the thought. That my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And you can say, what about the three days? Well, we've already seen that. And then in verse 3, it's going to be restated again in that way. Um, Six days of travel, right? One day of worship. But Moses said nothing here in this first statement about how long they'd be gone or when they would return. Did he say anything about a return? It doesn't say that. He just says, let my people go if they hold a feast in the wilderness. That's what he first says. This has to make Pharaoh very suspicious because he has to be thinking, there's an escape here that they've got in mind. I'm not going to let them go even for a day. God had no mind of them going on a journey and then coming back to Egypt. Although God has told Moses to say that, if that's how far it is going to be out there, three days, he's not lying. He's just saying we're going out there for, we're getting far away here. Three days is a pretty good distance. Three days meant more than just getting away for just a little bit. He says that they may hold a feast, a festival. They mention early um, in chapter 3, verse 18. I think this is God saying here, then they will heed your voice and you shall come and the elders of Israel, okay, they're going to heed you, to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now that's what God told Moses to say. Moses in the first verse here says, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's not going to fly with Pharaoh. And that's why it's going to be restated here in a moment. Uh, First, um, we see Pharaoh's reply in verse 2, and we'll get to that. Um, God was not delivering them, so they would just have civil freedom. We can get so caught up on even the freedom that we have here in America, but it's... uh, And what a privilege it is. Don't ever take that for granted. But if that's all it's all about and the whole political realm uh, has to be saved, then we've got it wrong. It has to start with God, right? 
And so it's not just for civil freedom. It's that they could worship God and have a relationship with Him. That's what He is desiring. That's what He wants. So it's much bigger than just being free from bondage, isn't it? He desired that they learn to worship Him. He wants to teach them. Well, here's the answer by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said... Now remember, here's what God said. That's what Pharaoh's, or, uh, Moses says. Pharaoh says, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Yahweh that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? Who is He? I don't know Yahweh. I'm not going to let you go. Why should I obey the Lord? That's that's a question that he's saying. That who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? I don't know him. I'll tell you what. Shortly, he's going to know Yahweh in a terrible way. After some short time period that'll pass. This is a question of ultimate authority. You know what? We have a war between God and Pharaoh happening here. That's what's going on. No contest. Pharaoh's, you know, God can just blow him away in a moment's notice. And here's Pharaoh just saying, Who is Yahweh? I'm going to obey him. The Egyptians considered Pharaoh to be who? A God. The Pharaoh is a son of God. Pharaoh believes he's God. He's a God. How do you expect me to obey some strange God? That's your God. He's not my God. What right does this new God have to call the Israelites who are my people? That's what the Pharaoh said. They're my people. I own them. They're slaves. I own them. They're mine. What right does your God have to say... I want to take him out and worship me. You can imagine the affront that happened Pharaoh here. He must have been highly offended by them saying this. Absolutely. If Pharaoh obeyed this God, what's that going to look like to everybody else in, in Egypt? A deity is greater than him. He doesn't want that. There's no way he's going to listen to this. And so that's the reply Moses gets. Moses and Aaron are going... Hmm. Well, let's let's look at it for a moment. Would you say that Pharaoh is very prideful? How is his heart already? Very hard. It's already. It's naturally that way. Isn't that the way that every man's heart is? It's already hard. It has to be open. The only one who can open that heart is who? God. Job forty one thirty four. The question is, is God going to open his heart? God said he's going to harden his heart. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Job 41, verse 34. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Here, he's talking about the enemy. In a sense, or the whole chapter, he starts with a leviathan. Can you draw out the leviathan with a hook? You know that great sea monster and and uh, all those uh, the behemoths and such. You know, and um, 
this particular one is so powerful, this animal. It's like a dinosaur, great with power and might. And he beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Well, God is the king over all, isn't he? But yet, the kings have a lot of pride. Because they're leader over people, they can be very arrogant. Pharaoh opposes God. The battle is God versus Pharaoh. We've already seen this in chapter 1 when you had another Pharaoh. And he saw that the people were getting highly numbered and uh, he feared that they would outgrow them as far as numbers so they put them in slavery and in bondage. Right there was a battle between Pharaoh and God, whether they knew it or not. Pharaoh does not give him any respect here at all. It is the opposite, isn't it? Who is Yahweh? I'm not going to listen to his voice. He's disrespectful. He's very arrogant. And we'll see that as time goes on. He is doing battle with the God of Israel. There's no way. It's not going to happen. They're not going. So they're not even given a hearing here. Well, we go into verse 3 now. And this would be a question that uh, the Pharaoh would be asking. Verse 3, this is part 2. Why should I give up a good thing? I think we're done with the first two verses there. Go to number two there. There it says, why should I obey the Lord? And I think anybody should ask that question. Why should I obey the Lord? Should unbelievers... Should they ask that question? Why should I obey the Lord? Well, He's Lord. I'm not. He's King. He's great. He's high. He's sovereign. I'm not. I must obey Him. Does everybody in the world have that view? It's simple as can be. But that's the whole point. No way he's going to obey. His next question is, uh, why should I give up a good thing? The good thing is, is that he's got people working for him for free. <laughs> I'm not going to give that up. Right? Slavery was a boost to the economy. Just like slavery was back in the 1700s. England and a lot of the other nations of the world were uh, expanding and uh, they had uh, trade and sugar was a big thing over here in the Western Hemisphere, especially in Central America. And uh, so they got the Africans uh, and brought them over here. Many of them died on the way here. It was an amazing thing that people would do to other people. Inhumane. It shows the depravity of man again. Anyway, um, it was quite a boost to the economy of England, though. They loved it, and they loved the sugar. And that's why they became a tea-drinking country. Because, man, you have to put that sugar in there. It's just fantastic. To this day, they didn't want to give up that sugar, but it cost many lives. Why would Pharaoh give this up? He's got it too good, too comfortable. An unbeliever should ask that. Hey, I've got it pretty good. Uh, why uh, should I give up a good thing? How about believers? Should they be asking these things? Maybe there's things in um, our own lives that say, well, why should I obey the Lord? I just want to do whatever I want to do. Do we do that sometimes? Well, we, we don't say that, do we? But do we kind of mean that sometimes? I'd rather do what I want to do. Anytime we've sinned, we've just done that. Why should I obey the Lord? Another one is, uh, hey, I enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, I'll have Christ and still go ahead and do the things that I do. 
This is too good of a thing. I don't want to give that up. Things are not going as the way that Moses expected. He changes the command. And this is the thing that God told him to say in the first place. Uh, kind of shifts it around a little bit more. Verse 3. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. All right. Moses starts rewording it. It's just like 3.18 where he said, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that they may, we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Here in verse 3, God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Then he says, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Brings on a little judgment aspect there. Now, did you see how that was reworded a little bit from what verse 1 was in chapter 5? Basically the same thought, but a little bit rewording. It's, the three-day journey here is not a lesser request, I don't think, that he'd be making. I don't think that he's cowing down here. I believe he's making it just a, like a, a three-day trip. I don't think he's saying, though, that we're going to come back. The three-day journey, after all, was what God told Moses to say in the first place. It's going to take that long to get out, saying, we're going a long way from here, and we're going to worship God. Uh, three days would be what it would take to go to this place for celebration, for this feast. Moses is willing, I think, to say this the way that God wanted it, and but he's not going to settle for something less than what the best thing is. And that's exactly what God wants. I don't think the request is necessarily different. It's worded a little bit differently. It's like saying, read my lips. Maybe I'm not making myself clear here. God is the one who's really speaking, and it's not just us two old men. Sacrifice. There's another twist here. He says in verse 3, Let us go three days journey in the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 1, he said, feast. Same thing's going to happen. Go to chapter 14, 1 through 5. Now this is later on. This is at the Red Sea crossing. So we're going to see what happens and see what Pharaoh's kind of thinking here. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. If they turn and encamp before Pahiroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, you shall come before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled 
And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now that's chapter 14. Pharaoh there is like totally surprised that the Israelites had left, that they had fled. He's surprised. That would not make any sense if he had made an order for them to go. What's going on here? Well, his surprise was not that they left, but he realized they're not coming back. Do you see what's happening here? It's like, yeah, why did he let them go when he says, oh my goodness, they're gone? Had he lost his senses? Or did he say, was he thinking that, okay, all right, the feast? But then the three days, oh my goodness, they're, they're not coming back. Maybe that's what's striking him. Because in chapter 12, verse 31, 1231, then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Now this is Pharaoh speaking from, to Moses and Aaron. And he says, okay, go. Go serve Him. Go worship Him. In chapter 14, we saw that he said, um, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? And they go pursuing them. Why, why did we let them go? Well, I, I think that he probably is thinking that they're going to go there, come back, and the three-day journey, as far as God is concerned, is one reason to get the Egyptians to follow after them, to pursue them. God is going to set that up where they will go after them. And you know what the results are? A drowning of the army in the Red Sea. So God sets it up. That could be what is happening here. God's intention was not to bring the Egyptians to repentance. Could He have done that? It's not in His plan. Because His plan is to get His people out of there. That's why there has to be a hardening here. and a, Such a hardening that Pharaoh will not get them back. God is going to judge them. And that's what Moses is saying here, or Aaron, at the end of verse 3, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Moses promised consequences for not obeying God's command. First of all, to the Israelites, if we don't go and worship God, God is going to bring His judgments on us. He says us. But I think that also this is a such a command that they're bringing forth as if you don't obey our God, you too are going to have judgment put on you. So when he says us, could he be saying everybody? We know that that's exactly what happens, whether he means it or not. The use of plagues, uh, some of your translations might have plagues instead of pestilence. Does anybody see plagues there? 
in the Hebrew can mean that. It's very obvious the plagues are going to happen. There's going to be ten of them. Moses is making a threat and he's not begging Pharaoh to let them go. I guess you know, he uses the word please. Um, and it's not necessarily God's going to deal with us severely. I think it's really going to come in with who? The Egyptians. It's saying God is going to be angry not only with us, but you. That's what happened. Now, the Pharaoh doesn't take kindly to this. Kings don't appreciate threats. So if there's been a threat issued, believe me, that's part of it, Pharaoh doesn't even consider this command by Moses. Again, no worship. You're not going to worship. No worship. Get back to work. You're wasting my time. Pharaoh liked the big number of slaves. Um, says in verse 4, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. I think he likes that big number because they have a big working force and they are building a lot of buildings in Egypt. And those, some of those great things that we even... Uh, think of today, you think of the pyramids and such. Israelites were even in on some of that. Making these great buildings of Egypt. And so um, he loved to exploit the numbers. It was all to him and Egypt's advantage. He just wanted them to work. He doesn't care about them worshiping ever. He doesn't want them to have another God. I'm the only God these people need. Is that the way he's thinking? Yeah. It's not to go and worship. That's what God says. They need to go and worship. And He says, no, they need to go and work seven days a week. 24-7. Matter of fact, with the extra jobs they're having, it's pretty well 24 out of the seven days a week they're working. Just unreasonable demand that, that He makes. Verse 6, same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people. These are Egyptian taskmasters here. And their officers, which are Israelites. They're like foremen who help lead the Israelites. Kind of in-between guys here. He says this, gets them together. You're no longer going to give the people straw to make brick. You had to have straw to solidify with the clay to make those bricks. And usually, or what, what happened is that at least the Egyptians would get that straw together, go out where it was at, and gather it, and then supply that for the slaves to, to make these bricks, to make those buildings. He says, uh, you're not going to do that anymore. Um, what's going to happen is they're going to have to go out and gather the straw for themselves. And by the way, they're still going to have to make the bricks that they're doing. I'm giving them an extra job. They're not getting any extra pay. And you shall lay on them, verse 8, the quota of bricks, which they made before. You shall not reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on them, 
on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Alright, he denies the request. Total disrespect to God and he wants the people to disrespect Moses. You know why we say that? Because he wants the people to turn against Moses. Right now, he's the greatest thing that's happened to them since, what? I would say manna, but that's later. <laughs> Sliced bread. This is a, he's great. And Moses and Aaron, they're going to lead us out of here. Pharaoh's pretty sharp. I'll turn the people against Moses. Watch this. I'm going to put a burden on them that they will never forget Moses and what he has done to them. That's the idea. Do you see what he's doing? Pretty sharp. By the way, he says, uh, if they have so much time on their hands that they want to take a week off, take a little vacation, tell you what, if they've got that much time, they can take the time there and go get the straw. They must not be working hard enough. Wow, this is quite a guy. They must work harder, he says. I want them to work hard. They already are working hard. They've been crying out. I mean, how can they work harder? God did not want them to work any longer on what they were doing. Pharaoh, on the other end, is going to make them work harder. Do you see the war going on? In the Hebrew, it meant that the work was to be severe. Let's say... 115 degree heat in the summertime, humidity up over, uh, let's say, up to 100%, heat index 140. How's that sound? <laughs> Can you identify with that a little bit? And they're out there working harder than they ever have before. It was going to be very difficult for the Israelites now to do their duties. Pharaoh, at the end of verse 9 here, calls Moses a liar. He says, let more work be laid on them so they may labor in it and let them not regard these lies, these promises that Moses is making them, that he's going to take them out into freedom and away. That's all poppycock. That's lies. So he's slinging mud at Moses and Aaron. And at the same time, he's discrediting the Israelites. Why is he discrediting them? He says they're lazy. He says they're lazy people. They're working as hard as they possibly can. And now he says they're lazy and Moses is a liar. To Pharaoh, these are his people. He owns them. He can do whatever he wants. They have no right to complain. Well, they're going to complain. They're going to compl- Matter of fact, they're going to complain from here on out. But this time, Moses must have started to get a little discouraged. What are we going to do now? He is not going to let them go. What do we do? He didn't think it would go this way. God has told him that He's going to take those people out from bondage into freedom. He also said He's going to have to harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so much for a quick exodus. Matthew Henry says this. This is something you can take home in a little package for yourself. What strange steps God sometimes takes in delivering His people. 
He often brings them to the utmost dire straits when he is just ready to appear for them. The lowest ebbs go before the highest tides. And very cloudy mornings commonly introduce the fairest days. God's time to help is when things are at the worst. And providence verifies the paradox. The worse, the better. Blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. You're blessed if you realize you have nothing to offer God. That's when you're at your lowest. You say, that's really where I'm at? He's exposed that? I'm a sinner before this holy God? That's the best place you can be. Because now you cry out and trust in a holy God rather than any of your own works. That's the whole idea. You don't trust in any of your works. You trust in this great God. And sometimes, and most often than not, there is this worse than the better. The better is there. It's going to be there. God uses that. So we go to part three now. And we see the oppression on the Israelites. It's severe. 10 through 19. Let's read this. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying... Thus says Pharaoh. Did you guys catch that? When you're reading Scripture, do you catch certain things? We've been seeing that Moses and Aaron said, Thus saith the Lord. On the other hand, Thus saith Pharaoh. He thinks he's God. I will not give you straw. That's what he's saying. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick, and indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. Idle! Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. The officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Are you catching the gist of this? How would you like to be an Israelite slave? How would you like to be caught up in this? You have been told that you're going to be delivered and now all of a sudden you are working like you have never worked before. You are dead tired. You've put in 18 hours today in that terrible heat you have nothing left sleep a couple hours or so and get up and start it again what a great life to look forward to 
We thought we had it bad before. Moses comes here and messes it all up. That's what they're thinking. Would you be thinking that? Probably so. Especially when you're out there working hard. So the slave drivers, the Egyptians, the foremen, the Israelites, the leaders of them, they gave the people the bad news. Here's the news. Nothing good about this. You know, bad news, good news, you know. This is all bad news. The entire structure from Pharaoh on down was based on fear. That's what he wants. He wants the people to fear him. So he's going to take it to the ultimate max. And he does not want them to go and he's going to make sure that they do not go. This is a hardening that is happening. He wasn't this bad before. What happened? I'll let you leave it to your own thinking there. Get an idea what's happening? How would you like to have been the one to deliver the news there? How would you like to have been one of those Israelite foremen? Hey guys, I want to tell you something. Hey, they see you. They're waiting for the good news. They're waiting. Hey, we're going tomorrow, right? Uh, No, they've given us an impossible task. This is what Pharaoh says. Moses and Aaron said, this is what God says. We have a war. God could just stop this right now. But He's going to use it to teach a lot of lessons. He's teaching us here today. He was teaching the whole world. He was teaching the Egyptians. He was teaching the, the Israelites. He was teaching Moses and Aaron. There's a purpose behind all this. God is not something that uh, some God up there, you know, trying to cause evil things and wicked things to happen on His people here, but there are uh, some good things that's going to happen with this. So uh, the Israelites are scattered. They had to go wherever the straw was. Uh, turns out to be they have to go out and get the stubble out of this. Now, this is taking time. It's taking toil. Still have to get the bricks. They're made. They're falling behind in time. The foremen are held responsible. Because you know, the Egyptians cannot go out and whip every Egyptian or Israelite slave. So who do you take it out on? The ones who are in leadership. Hey, you guys are not getting the job done. What are they going to do to them? They're going to whip them. Whip them into shape. Israelite foremen, they're responsible for making that daily quota. So they're, they're beaten by the Egyptian slave drivers. That's the taskmasters. Those are Egyptians. The foremen were very surprised at this. This has not happened to them before. They went to Pharaoh thinking that, okay, there is some kind of mistake. We've been beaten. They go to him, try to figure this communication thing out. Why are you beating us? Why your people have stopped giving us the straw? We don't have the time to do this. If anything, beat them. <laughs> you know, it's the one. It's their fault. They're not giving us the straw. And it was a lot easier to beat the, these foremen, a few of them, rather than the whole people. A foreman would either have to abuse their own people, or they're going to be abused. So what do you think they're going to do? Have to turn it out there to the people. Well, the officers cry out to the Pharaoh here, and this has happened uh, already in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. 
Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. God heard that groaning. Chapter 3, verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of My people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I came here to deliver them. I know their sorrows. They, they cried out because of the terrible oppression that is upon them. They protest. What do you think Pharaoh is going to do? Oh, sorry about that, guys. I'll lay off for a little while. Pharaoh doesn't listen. He calls them lazy. Can you imagine working all the hours that they're doing? He says they're lazy. Just like back in verse 8. It says um, that uh, they're idle. You're idle. Idle. That's why you want to go out and sacrifice the Lord. You're, you're lazy people. Boy, what a hard heart. Pretty wicked, isn't it? Is he totally irrational here? He not only made them work harder and then accuses them because they brought the problems on themselves. That's what he's saying. He kept saying they were lazy. That's the reason that this has happened, because you guys are lazy. What he wants to do is this. He wants to break their wills so that they will not resist. He wants them to fear him doesn't want to fear the God of Israel. He wants to break their wills. He's doing a pretty good job, isn't he? Matter of fact, that's what they're, they're ready to give up the truth and the whole deliverance if they could just get this extra work off their backs now. Get back to at least the way it was. So they start complaining. Well... I think I probably would have too. Be real honest with you. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, guess who's there? They met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. And might as well be dead because we will be. They'll work us to death. That's probably what would have happened. Uh, after being shocked by Pharaoh, they started blaming it on Moses now. Now, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? The leaders get blamed on, and they're going to get blamed on from here on out when it doesn't go the way that they want it. Pharaoh definitely accomplished what he wanted. He has already turned the people against Moses. Just like that. This, this Pharaoh is pretty sharp, isn't he? knows exactly how to get those people turned right back to him. You know what? That same kind of thing happens in our nation today. The, the swing of the way that people think in our nation today has done a backflip. Things that you would have never have thought of that would be accepted and not only accepted but pushed by our government and people are just taking it on in 
And they vote for people like that. Wow. And he broke their wills to resist. The foreman now run into Aaron and Moses. That's, that's the foreman, the, the, the leaders of the, of the Israelites. The day was just not working out the way that it was supposed to. Um, this is all the same day. If you look back in verse 6. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers. That's whenever he made this rule. And so now this is starting to be carried out as quickly things adjusting. What a bad day Moses and Aaron had and more bad days. And now his own people are pronouncing a curse on him. And Aaron's getting the same one. What a judgment. How may ever forget the miracles back in chapter 4, verse 30? And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. There's the Word of God. Then he did the signs inside of the people. Were those signs that they were given? They did that in front of the people. How quickly they forgot what God had spoken and, and was doing through them. The plan seems to be unraveling. It's falling apart. This thing's going to be done. They're calling down judgment from God on Moses and Aaron. And um, the very ones who were going to be delivered are the ones who are cursing Moses. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe that Moses was speaking the Word of God all of a sudden. But they were backed up with visible Miracles that have been done. So they they complain. And I think that Moses probably expected a better welcome than this. He was hoping maybe that uh, at least Pharaoh is backing off of this as they meet them outside there and uh, they're kind of rejoicing over the fact he's going to lead them out of bondage and they're under harsher circumstances than they were before. Moses is there and boy, they level it out. They fire it right back at him. Seems they have a hard heart too, don't they? They're going to have to be softened. This isn't the last time that they'll complain to Moses. Why didn't they just get a... This is my question. And here is, I think, what we all need to do. When something comes unfavorable against us in our individual lives or against uh, the body of Christ or whatever, why don't we just get all the elders together, the people together, and just pray? The elders immediately go to complaining. Rather than saying, Moses, we got a prayer meeting. we got to do it now. Let's, let's get together. Let's go over here and, and seek the Lord's wisdom. Because we're hearing one thing, another thing is happening. Let's let's find out what God has in mind. Wouldn't you think that that would be the way to approach it? Sometimes we forget about prayer. And we try to do it our own way. They should have remembered the promise of God. that had been given. What a difference that would have made. Just seeking the Lord's will. Don't you always even just feel better when you approached the Lord and prayed about it? Prayed about it with somebody, uh, some other Christian. And even though the circumstances might not have changed yet, you're saying, okay, you know, God's going to work this out. He's going to work it out good. 
I'm going to depend on Him. We're, we're going to depend on Him. And we're just going to wait and see what. You know, wait upon the Lord, right? They just couldn't believe God here. This is the same thing that uh, that we have troubles with. We complain. Oh, we complain. We'll see that throughout 40 years of the ordeal. We move to number 5 and right at the end of the the chapter here. This is a, a complaint that Moses now makes. The people complain. Now Moses goes to the Lord. Moses complains too. At least he went to the Lord. And we can't forget that. He does go to the Lord. I don't think Moses sees the entire picture here. And most of the time, God doesn't intend for us to see the entire picture. He just expects us to trust Him for the little bit that He's given us each day. Those mercies are new every morning. God was moving slowly and patiently working out His plan. This is why we pray. To find out His will. Not to change His will. Do you want to change God's will? If His will is always the best, or is it? Is His will always the best? Absolutely. If it's not, we're in trouble. (laughs) If His will is the best, say, I want to get in tune with that. I'll tell you what, my will here is not checking out right here. This doesn't seem right. I think I am just going to say, okay, this looks bad, but uh, hey God, I want your will here. That's why we pray. We don't try to change His mind. We just try to find out, oh, okay, this is what you got going. Okay, good. He had nowhere else to go. He doesn't have the foreman to go to. Him and Aaron, you know, all they can do now here is go to... They can't go to Pharaoh. they got to go to God. It makes me think of Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20 verse 7. Jeremiah was uh, unpopular to the people. (laughs) He had a message to give to the Israelites, and it wasn't very favorable. Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, you induced me, and I was persuaded. (laughs) You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. No matter what, I said I was going to stop speaking it, but I couldn't help. It was burning in me. not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, I was weary of holding it back, and I could not hold it back. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But... The Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. He believed God. There were times when he didn't feel like it. There were times when he didn't want to. 
And there were times when he didn't have a choice though. It didn't matter. Because he was going to do what was put within him. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You know what? That's what's going to happen with Moses and Aaron. Same thing. We should always take our case before the Lord. He did. Moses says something like this. Back in Exodus 5. Last two verses. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. And that's as far as we're going to get today. Please, is hanging. Lord, you've not delivered. When Moses said this, he was questioning the very character of God. He does go to the Lord, and we commend him for that. Moses should have expected opposition. He should have trusted in God and what he said, even when that comes. Jesus Christ had opposition. Why wouldn't we? Trust in God and what he says despite the circumstances. That's a test of faith, isn't it? We can identify, however, with the Moses here. It goes from bad to worse. In a moment's time, it's, God, what's going on here? What disappointments do? They should do one thing. They should drive us to the Lord. Things are not right in your life and you don't, you cannot understand what's going on. We'll go to God's people sometimes. That helps. They can give you some, some wisdom if it's coming from the Word of God. And some things that are practical. It's good. that We need to share with each other. That's a body of Christ. That's how it works. But ultimately, we go to the Lord. And we realize, okay, Lord, I, I'm not so sure I am supposed to be where I'm at. I, what's, what's next, Lord? What's next in, in, in the plan? It seems like nothing's happening here. Well, he's saying, you're exactly where I want you right now. And just trust me because I've got something for the next step, the next level for you. It's natural to expect God to intervene. That's what we want, isn't it? We should expect that. That's good. Moses wants him to intervene. Nothing out of the will of God there. He's doing exactly what it is. God, you told me we were going to do this, uh, this, this deliverance thing. Right, God? He's messed up on the timing. That's the main problem. Um, But when it comes to affliction or suffering or some kind of tribulation, we don't like it. Especially when it seems to increase. God has a great plan. Look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. This is one awesome way to end a prophecy book. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't do so great for self-esteem, but it sure lifts God up. Verse 16. Habakkuk 3.16 When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. This almost sounds like Job. That I might rest in the day of trouble. That I might rest in the day of trouble. When He comes up to the people, He will invade them with His troops. Now look, when everything seems against you, 
Though the fig tree may not blossom, fig tree in Israel's big time, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, we've got the fig tree, we've got the grape vines, we have the olive trees. That was basic sustenance to the people. And the field yields no food. I mean, this is taking everything. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. And there should be no herd in the stalls. I hate it, God. What are you doing to me? No. What's verse 18 say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. See, that's the whole point. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything because there's nothing good in us that He even saved us by. We had nothing to offer Him. But He offers us all grace. It's all great. What a great God. That takes us out of it. Can He get 99% glory and we get 1%? Sorry. We'd like to, but no. He's the God of my salvation. I don't deserve the food that I have, the water I have drank from His cup this morning. I don't deserve the music instruments that we have, the band. I don't deserve to come here to be able to read the Word with you guys, to worship. I don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve my home, my car, the breath that I've written. Just go on and on and on and on. It's all His. He owns it all. I'm a slave of Him. We can sure thank Him for that though. Boy, wasn't that great? Just get out of bed and start the day. I'll rejoice. He, Boy, the blessings that He gives us. We haven't been where this has been. But if we ever got to that point, would we do that? Look at verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high hills. Not high heels. <laughs> That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? In heaven, we've got to walk on high heels. Even here, the high hills. Later on, the high hills that He's going to put us into. Man, if you have that kind of outlook to God, He works great wonders in you. He's doing it. That's how He wants to observe all this. Adversity can drive one closer to Christ than all the blessings of the world. Adversity drives us to Christ. God uses so many different ways so we can know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection. But I want to know His sufferings. That's what Paul says. I haven't said that today. (laughs) But you see what's happening? God is using all of this for His people. This is part of His plan. This is how we close. The enemies of God's people are enemies, really, of who? God. God will never be defeated. God's presence presence does not guarantee immediate results. If we have that kind of faith, I want to tell you, you're going to fall off that wagon real quick. Because when the struggles begin, new believers, 
I said, oh boy, man, you're on a right road now. Boy, everything's going to be good from here on out. Man, if we tell them that, we have done them a disservice. We've got to tell them that, hey, this is the greatest place you can be. You've got the greatest blessings. And God is going to train you in His gym. He's going to make you strong. And He knows exactly how much you can take. Because it will be for His glory. And you'll shine for Him. He's going to take weak vessels and make us stronger. That's what's happening in our lives. And as you look at Moses here, it's not some little Bible story that happened 3,500 years ago. It's the truth. And these Bible stories, the Old Testament, are meant for us today too. So hopefully you can take some of this home with you and see, oh, that's what's happening in my life. My goodness, I did an hour and eight minutes. I am sorry, didn't mean to do that. But uh, at the same time, we did a whole chapter. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's close with prayer.